0: My guest today is a prolific writer and poet and has crafted over 30 captivating books spanning the realms of poetry, picture books, and middle grade fiction. Her journey into the world of imagination began at the tender age of seven, a spark that would later ignite a passion for writing that would inspire countless readers. Her picture books include Apple Pie 4th of July, Hide and Seek, Hop To It, Poems To Get You Moving, is an anthology featuring 100 poems by 90 poets, delving into themes of movement, the pandemic, and social justice. Our guest is the recipient of prestigious 2021 NCTE Award for Excellence in Poetry for Children, which is a lifetime achievement award recognized as the most prestigious accolade a poet can attain. Please join me in welcoming this literary luminary, Janet Wong. (laughs)
1: You you i love I love the alliteration and literary luminary. That's great, and it's a very hard thing to say
0: too. yeah, I uh, almost fumbled on that.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for in inviting me. I uh, thought it was interesting that you said that my creative my creativity was sparked at age seven. You must have gotten that somewhere. I'm really, I I said that in some interview or, or, yeah, is that wrong? I don't remember what, what did I do at age seven? You know, that's the thing actually about, um, uh, having a lot of details about your life and your creative process out there. Um, I, uh, sometimes forget what I've told people, and there are so many different parts of me, of you, of any of us online. Right. We only choose to share just a little bit. But one thing did happen at age seven that I've written about since then. Shall I tell you? Yeah. At age seven, I remember very, very vividly, I was out on the sidewalk with my friends, all the neighborhood kids, and we were riding skateboards and I was riding my Batman skateboard, my wooden Batman skateboard down the street. And I was going down the street, going down the street. At, well, actually sidewalk. So we would ride on the sidewalk. And my wheels hit a crack in the sidewalk. The board flipped up. I flipped up and I landed on my chin.
0: Oh, wow. It hospital? Everybody to to hospital?
1: ran up to me. My friends ran up to me and they were horrified because they could see that I was just spouting blood, spewing blood from my chin. But i couldn't see it and so i just looked and i saw the the wild looks in their eyes and then i i noticed that there was blood all over the ground and all over my hands and all over me and i said don't tell my mother and then they all looked up and i looked up and there in the in the window of our apartment was my mother
0: watching Did you eventually go to the hospital
1: oh immediately oh. <laughs> Immediately, she she took me in. I have thirteen, uh, unlucky thirteen or, or lucky thirteen, depending on how you feel about the number stitches in my chin, and uh, and actually, I wish that I could get on a skateboard again, but I'm just too afraid. You know how they say, if you fall off a horse, you're supposed to get on again. Although, in my book, before it wriggles away. Um, which is kind of uh, which is a meet the author book I was asked to write about just my process and inspiration. Somehow, I must have found a picture, I don't imagine how they would have gotten it otherwise, a picture that I sent to them of me in high school on the sidewalk having fallen off a skateboard. This time, not my Batman skateboard, but a blue um, plastic skateboard or some kind of composite skateboard. And so I guess I had gotten on again. I just didn't didn't remember. I
0: blocked it out. So when people online, they see Janet Wong as this writer that started at seven. But in reality, she was skateboarding.
1: (laughs) Skateboarding. But, you know, the memories that you uh, start to accumulate when you are three or four or five or or six or seven those memories later on even if you don't write about them immediately experiencing those things having those feelings thinking about those feelings and those events that's all part of the pre-writing so that when you are eager and ready or ready to sit down and put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, those things will just come flowing out. So you're you're doing the pre-writing. Maybe I was doing the pre-writing by writing the skateboard and and having the accident. Who knows?
0: When I was younger, I remember reading your book Apple Pie Fourth of July, which is a story of a young Chinese American girl who tells her parents that they should not sell Chinese food during the Fourth of July, as it is an American holiday. The girl is so surprised to see many customers coming in on the 4th of July to buy Chinese food, realizing that Chinese culture is greatly loved by many Americans. This is one of my favorite books because it taught me what being American is really about, which is being united. Growing up, was there any books or authors that had a profound impact on you? Could you share some of your favorite childhood stories? I just
1: want to mention one thing about Apple Pie 4th of July is that book, got me my first of two invitations to speak and read at the White House. And the reason is that Laura Bush, back before she met and married George Bush, was a teacher and librarian. And she has kept in touch with her teacher and librarian friends. And when that book made the Texas 2 by 2 list, which is a big deal list of books that are recommended for ages 2 to grade 2, when Apple Pie Fourth of July made the Texas two by two list, one week later, I got a call from Laura Bush's secretary inviting me to come to the White House. So um, so that that book has 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 done some very special things for me. And it was inspired by my own family because my parents did indeed own a mini mart in rural Oregon where they sold Chinese food on the fourth of July. But to answer your question about some of my favorite childhood uh, books or childhood authors, um, you know, I wasn't a big reader when I was a kid. I think that one of my problems was I often didn't finish books and it made me feel really bad. You know, you'd go to the library, check out a book, and then the next week you were supposed to have finished it and then you return it and you get a new one. Well, I'm kind of a slow reader. And so very often I didn't finish the book. And it made me feel like I had kind of failed a little bit. And so I didn't love reading, but I love stories. And another problem that I had actually was, I think that sometimes I just chose books that were not right for me. They didn't grab me. And so that's part of the reason why I didn't feel uh, driven to finish them. And then what I should have done is I should have gone to my librarian and said, can you help me? I didn't really love the last three books that I checked out. Can you help me find something that I'm really gonna like a lot more? And there are thousands and thousands of books in the library. You know, The librarian could have helped me. If only I had asked for a recommendation, but one of my favorite books was Charlie and the chocolate factory. And so I'm really excited to see, um, Wonka. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm super excited to see the, uh, Timothy Chalamet version of Wonka because I just loved the Willy Wonka, Charlie and Ch- chocolate factory premise. We were not poor growing up, but I thought we were. I didn't really have a good understanding of our family finances because most parents don't don't share that information with kids. But I felt like we were really poor. And I know that my mom grew up ex- in extreme poverty, um, where she didn't have enough to eat, and it was something that she thought about every single day being hungry. And my father went through a time when uh, they suffered uh, extreme poverty during uh, the war. I was always aware of poverty. And when I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, here was Charlie Bucket, who was so hungry and so poor. And yet he didn't give up hope. And he got extremely lucky. And because of his kindness and his goodness and his humility, because of who he was, all these great things happened. And I really loved the fact that you could be kind and humble and just a good person and not really stand out in any flashy way. And yet you could inherit a chocolate factory. So Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was definitely a favorite book. Charlotte's Web, too. When uh, Charlotte wove the word humble into um, Wilbur into her web uh, to, to describe Wilbur, You know, I think especially for kids who are from families where um, being quiet, being humble, knowing your place, being respectful, where those kinds of values are, um, are just understood as what you need to do. I think that for a child like that, it was very empowering. Like, wow, I don't need to be noticed it's okay, I can be humble, and I can still have um, good things happen uh, for me. So those two books were very powerful.
0: Winning the 2021 NCTE Award for Excellence in Poetry for Children is an amazing achievement. How did you feel when you received this prestigious honor, and what does it mean to you personally and professionally?
1: Well, (laughs) going from humble to putting on my my horn hat, um, you know, it was a huge thrill because there are not a lot of awards for poets. Most of the major children's literature awards go to picture book illustrators or um, or novelists. Very few of the major awards go to poets. And, and poets don't have a whole bunch of awards that we can win. So this one is kind of, um, in my mind at least... Um, one of the biggest and to be recognized that way uh, was just unbelievably thrilling. Um, it, it was kind of funny because uh, I got the word during the pandemic. So all of a sudden um, people started texting me saying, wow, you got this award, this is so great. And usually the NCT award is announced at a conference where everyone is there in person. But it was announced instead um, uh, during a Zoom. Um, so, uh, so all the all the text messages and emails came in, and I just felt like, well, I guess people have been noticing, and that was a a really really nice thing. I think we all, even if we're taught to try to be humble most of the time, we all do need a little bit of recognition, right? And so if if you know, for instance, in your own family, in your own circle of friends, you know that there are people who um, don't get praise lavished upon them all the time, um, maybe because of a cultural thing or a family thing or whatever, make a point of pointing that out to, to those people, you know, just every once in a while wow, I noticed that you are super fast when you are on the pickleball court and you can get those balls, you know, just um, just make a point of of praising each other and creating a positive culture around yourself and for your inner circle. And um, that's something that I think we all can do a little bit more often.
0: In your writing, you often explore the theme of diversity, Why is it important to you to bring diverse perspectives and voices into children's literature?
1: Well, because I think the major problem we have, not just in this country, but in the world today, is um, divisiveness. People not um, pulling for each other and working together as much as we could. I mean, there's so many big problems that we could really overcome, like climate change, if we just work together and more respectfully. I mean, people can have differences of opinion, but when there's so much hatred and people don't even want to talk to each other or listen to each other, we have a problem. And so what can you do? Well, um, what you can do is reach out to other people and explain where you're coming from what your experiences are what your background is what your ideas are uh what your beliefs are and one way to do that is through our writing because people won't always um have the opportunity to talk to each other face to face but we can all have an impact on each other by just sharing our our thoughts and feelings in writing and getting those things out there for whoever might might be receptive. Many of us have too narrow a view of diversity, actually. We think of diversity often as just mainly racial diversity, ethnic diversity, um, LGBTQ diversity, but uh, but everyone of us is different in some way, and it doesn't diminish our um, diversity, equity, and inclusion goals if we recognize that yeah, even, okay, you're going to take a category like white males. There's a lot of diversity within the group of white males. And I once had a kid come up to me and he told me, I didn't really like poetry. And then I um, was sitting here during your assembly and I started thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. I, I really like it. And I was flattered. And then he said, But now I'm really into hunting. Are there any books of poems about hunting? And um, I thought about it and I said, you know, I have never seen a poem about hunting uh, in a children's book. I have never, and I know for a fact that there are not books about hunting, poems about hunting for children. And I said, but maybe you can write it. You can write about how it feels to, you know, the excitement of waking up at four o'clock in the morning and and driving with your, with your dad or your uncle or whoever likes to hunt, your mom, whoever it is, driving with them to the place where you go. And um, what does it smell like? The morning air, the grass, tall grass all around you. Um, what do you hear? Do you hear um, owls? Uh, do you hear a whole bunch of birds? Um, wh- what's the feeling? and and when you do actually shoot um, an animal, what what are you thinking? What goes through your mind? and is it always the same thought? So you know, I think that if we were more respectful of the total array of feelings and experiences, it, we'd have so much more unity in this world. And all it takes is for just us to sit down and write something about who we are and what we like to do and share it out in the world.
0: Janet, you used to be a lawyer at Universal Studios. As an author with a legal background, how do you think we can strike a balance between protecting freedom of expression and addressing concerns about controversial content in children's literature? especially in the context of recent debates around book banning?
1: Oh, wow. Talk about a heavy question. That is super heavy. Well, that and that is the question of 2024, right? Unfortunately, 2023, 2024, probably 2025. What are we going to do? You know, I can kind of understand how some of the people who are um, livid about Books that they think should be banned I understand how they might feel like oh kids minds are being tainted by this and that and my kid comes into contact with them and those those kids are forming our future society so I do kind of understand how they might feel Um, but then on the other hand um, it's so easy to make this just an individual choice right like I said earlier there are thousands and thousands of books in the library for any one kid. And if, if you as a parent don't want your kid reading these hundred books, well then go and go and get 500 other ones and say, why don't we read these books as a family? And no, 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 we don't need to read those. Let's just read these. And then leave those books for people who do want to read those books. I mean, It seems so simple that there's enough room in the buildings for books for anyone on anything, whether whether you're interested in, you know, I don't know, in revolutions or interested in hermit crabs. But um, but practically speaking, I think the way to ensure um, freedom of expression is just to get everybody expressing themselves more in writing. And when everybody realizes that uh, it's so easy to put your ideas down, it's so empowering and, um, and just choice is a good thing and having um, an outlet is a good thing. Once people start experiencing this firsthand as writers, I think they might uh, be more open as readers. If you just say to the people who want to, to ban books, just write more books. You write more books about your point of view then. And let's just have, instead of 10,000 books in this library, we can have thousand. You go ahead and get all your friends together and your like-minded people to write 1,000 more books. And I think more books has to be the answer. Just more books, more choices, in order to make the idea of uh, freedom of choice Um, more meaningful because really I mean honestly when you look at it where are most of the books that we find in the library um, published where the publisher's located most of the publishers are located in Boston or New York City or San Francisco in big urban centers where um, liberal ideas do dominate and those are places where I personally feel most comfortable but i can understand um how somebody um who uh has different views might feel unrepresented how they might say you know there're 5000 children's books published every year and uh 4800 of them are uh are liberal or left wing i can understand how they might feel about that so then i would just say well then Go ahead and form your own publishing company and publish more of your stuff then. But please, if it's going to be nonfiction, at least uh, uh, let's try to, to make sure it's um, it's uh, <laughs> based in what everyone can agree on as fact. So
0: when you say based on what everyone agrees on, it's not specifically what the people want, right? It's just
1: well, not. yeah, you know, uh, getting people to agree on facts, really, just basic facts nowadays, is just uh, such a difficult task, too. Um, and it's good for everyone to be a little bit skeptical, right? But like, you know, if I were to hold up this cup and say, "Here we have, um, here we have a porcelain cup, a ceramic, we have a ceramic cup here," and it's almost gotten to the point where, where everything is questioned where somebody might say oh you're just making that sound but how do we know it's not a plastic cup right and at some point it becomes really abs- absurd where um y- you just need to mean uh, to say I think we need to call each other on it and just say hey you know can we talk about this a little bit longer because do you want me to like break it with a hammer to prove to you that it's a ceramic cup? What do I have to, and maybe that's the conversation that has to happen. What do I have to do to, to, to prove this to you? Actually, there was a a little altercation at my YMCA the other day. I play pickleball at the YMCA. I am an pickleballer. And uh, right before pickleball time, we have some basketball players and, uh, the basketball players have their time, the pickleball players have our time, and they're right up against each other. And, uh, and so 3 o'clock came, it was supposed to be time for pickleball, but the basketball players got started late because they were pushed back by the Youth Basketball League when over, over their allotted time. So they were saying, well, we got started late, so we want to go later. But the the pickleball player leaders said, no, we want our full time. We want to start at three. And so there was a stalemate. And one of the basketball players said to the YMCA guy, said, "Um, you are favoring whites over minorities because most of the basketball players were. Most I'd say maybe half were were black and brown people, and then most of the pickleball players were white. And so he said he said to the YMCA guy, uh, "You're favoring whites over minorities." And I was standing there, and he knew I was a pickleball player because I was holding my paddle in my hand, right? And I said, "Excuse me, do you do you want to repeat that?" And he just looked at me and he was all like, no, I don't want to repeat that. (laughs) But then later on, later on, I I told my husband what had happened. And my husband said, no, the YMCA was favoring old people over young people. That's what it was. You know, old people, we often get our privileges, some privileges. And uh, and so. I think that we just need to have more dialogue. Like if, when I, I'm proud of myself that I said, hey, excuse me, you know, repeat that. Let's talk about it. You really think the why is 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 showing uh, uh, racism here? Yeah. Oh no, maybe it was a class issue. Maybe um, pickleball players pay a lot of money in terms of monthly dues uh, because there's so many of us, more than there are basketball players. So just, People need to talk more with each other.
0: Janet, as you visited schools and interacted with young readers and students, could you share a particularly memorable experience or reaction from a school visit that touched you deeply or left a lasting impression on you as an author?
1: One, uh, one interaction that I will always remember happened Decades ago. I mean, back when I've, I've been doing school visits where I visit schools and do assemblies and workshops. I've been doing schools uh, school visits for decades. And early on, I did an assembly. And afterwards, a girl came up and she said, your Chinese grandmother is just like my Norwegian grandmother. And she said, the poem that you read... Um, about how she cooks without measuring anything. That is exactly what my Norwegian grandmother does. And I love the way that uh, poems that are very specific can yet seem universal and 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 make someone feel um, included in a group. So um, I think that poetry is the answer, you know, because... When I say we all need to write more, yeah, if only we had more time. We, we could all write novels, chapter books, uh, long essays. But the thing is, we're all so busy. It takes just five minutes, though, to write a poem. You could write a poem, Christopher, five minutes about something that happened when you were a kid that hurt your feelings. And have everybody that you know who's in your circle write about something that happened when they were a kid say age seven or younger that hurt their feelings and just share those poems. And wow. And just, you know, if you were to do this with just like three friends, the four of you, or four friends, the five of you, and you, and you took half an hour uh, just to share this, or even 15 minutes, five minutes to write and just 10 minutes to share, so many things would come out that would make you say, wow, I never know you, I never knew that you went through that or I never knew that that's how you felt, or, oh my gosh, I've done something like that to somebody. Uh, I'm not gonna do that again. Just taking five minutes to write a poem and to read it, to share it with somebody, I think that can make a huge, huge difference.
0: Lastly, could you share any upcoming projects or endeavors you're currently working on or planning for the future?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, There were four books in the Things We series, Things We Do, Things We Eat, Things We Feel, Things We Wear. Those are books for younger kids that are fully illustrated. And all of those books are fundraisers for IBBY, which is kind of like the United Nations of children's literature. And the small company that I own with Sylvia Vardell, which is called Pomelo Books, Pamelo Books donates 100% of the profits from those books to IBI uh, to help the Children in Crisis Fund that helps children who are, well, for instance, children in Ukraine um, um, suffering from uh, from war conditions or children in Turkey suffering from, from, from the earthquake. And in addition to the Things We series, which is for younger kids, um, for older kids, we have a What Is series, and we have three books in that series. So we have What Is Hope, uh, What Is A Friend, What Is A Family. And again, all the profits, 100% of the profits from these books also go to IBBY. Um, but we've decided actually that for a project that we have just started, that Sylvia Vardell and I are going to donate one uh, 100% of the profits to children's charities that help kids who are dealing with um, terminal illnesses. So kids who are suffering from cancer, um, who, kids who are in the children's hospital and probably never going home, um, those kids need funny poems. And so we're writing a book called Clara's Cookie Compendium of Thimble Thoughts and Wonder Fuzz. And it's going to have just Funny, funny, funny poems that will cheer you up. And I think that um, even though the world has so many serious problems right now, maybe we all need uh, to make sure that we have 5, 10, 15 minutes a day just to uh, read funny things, just to nurture our inner child and to smile and laugh. Not every funny thing has to be a laugh out loud, ha, ha, ha thing, but just to read lighter stuff, happy stuff. And you know, uh, a lot of libraries classify um, picture books as E for everyone. And I am a firm believer that uh, everybody needs to read at least one picture book a month. Just take five minutes to remember how it felt to be three years old and just the wonder that you felt and the joy of looking at the pictures, not even reading the words, and then maybe going back and reading the words. And uh, we all need more of that in our lives. So hopefully, Clara's cookie compendium of Thimble Thoughts and Wonder Fuzz will provide that for some people.
0: Janet's passion for bringing diversity and meaningful themes to children's literature is evident in her work. Her ability to connect with young readers through her books and school visits is a testament to her impact on the literary world. We are immensely grateful for the wisdom, experiences, and advice that Janet has shared with us today. Her contributions to the world of literature, particularly in poetry, have not only enriched our understanding of the human experience, but has also inspired future generations of writers and poets. Thank you, Janet Wong.
1: Oh, thank you, Christopher. Thank you so much. It was an honor to spend this time speaking with you and with your listeners.